Romans chapter 7, 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married man... For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he still lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is still alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that he may bear fruit from God, uh, for God. For while we were living in, in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What is 32 minus 12? Line it up. 32 minus 12. 2 minus 2, 0. Right, that's the first part. And then 3 minus 1 is 2. Put those together. What do you got? 20. Uh, some of you did it in your head because it was such an easy problem, right? 32 minus 12 equals 20. Well, hold on. Not so fast. Not so fast. Have you seen this? Have you seen the new math? Anybody who's a teacher or a parent in the last, what, I don't know, 10 years or so, has run across something crazy like this. And, and, and if you look at it, uh, it, it makes absolutely no sense to me. I, I, I really don't get it. But 32 minus 12 is not just 20, but it's 12 plus 3 is 15 plus 15 plus 5 is 20, and all of that stuff. What is going on with the new math? What's going on with the new math? It's crazy. Some of you are looking at me funny like you haven't heard of the new math, right? The new math is something that actually goes back quite a ways. All the way back in 1957, 1957. When the Soviets launched Sputnik, when the Soviets launched Sputnik, they were declaring that they were the worldwide leaders in science. They were the worldwide leaders in science and math. And so the United States at that time went into panic mode because they could not be outdone by the Soviets. Schools needed to teach math and science in a way that students could not only memorize facts about math, but actually begin to understand what are the concepts behind math. And that's what the new math was all about back in the late 50s. In 1958, President Eisenhower signed something called the National Defense Education Act putting those two concepts together of defense and education because this was about defeating the Russian or the Soviets at, the, at that time, defeating the Soviets. And so the new math was going to save uh, American uh, public education because it was going to focus on teaching conceptual understanding over just memorization of arithmetic. 
Now, new math, as you might guess, didn't catch on back then. And every 20 years or so, there's a new uh, revitalization within the education movement to, to begin to try to teach the concepts of math and not just how to do it. The most recent uh, re-evolution of the new math was Common Core. Have you heard of Common Core? Common Core back in 2009, it was this huge uh, re renewal of uh, education and particularly how math is done. And, and I don't know if you remember, I remember parents freaking out about it back then because students were bringing home work problems or uh, worksheets with problems on them that they had no idea how to accomplish. And, and teachers' phones were ringing off the hook. They were like, how do we do this? I don't understand. I mean, this is strange. We used to do it this way. And the teacher's like, no, no, that's not how that we do it anymore. This is the new math. Because we want students to understand not just how to get the right answer, but how to understand the right concept. Doing arithmetic by rote memorization may get you through grade school, but once you get to the higher levels, once you begin dealing with higher level problems, especially in co at the co collegiate level, teachers will want you to understand more than just how to get the answer. They want you to understand how it works. How do these things actually relate to one, to one another? The same thing can be said of our spiritual lives. A lot of times we can get by in life with the old way of relating to God through the law. But when we face really deep problems, when we face more difficult problems, more complex problems, it drives us to seek something different. Maybe you find yourself this morning in spiritual panic mode, like the United States was back in the late 50s, considering the advancements of the Soviet Union. Maybe you're in spiritual panic mode today. Maybe you're asking questions like this. Why did my husband die? He was a good man. Why haven't I found love? I've been faithful. Why did my business fail? I was honest. Why am I still struggling financially? I pay my tithes. The old math, when we face these problems, just doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. The old math of how we relate to God doesn't add up. And so God wants us to know that we need a new math for life under grace. No longer under law, but under grace. And that, that's really what we've been where Paul, the Apostle Paul, has been leading us to in Romans all throughout chapter 6. He's been leading us to understand what life is like under grace. Okay, not under the law anymore, but under grace. This is where he's been leading us. The book of Romans begins in chapters 1 and 3 by, by God telling us that the whole world is in rebellion against its Creator. We have all turned away from God. The religious people and the non-religious people. Everybody has turned away from God. And it ends with that famous verse in chapter 3 that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in chapter 4, Paul moves us into an understanding that, that, that the only hope we have is through God's mercy. The only hope we have is through faith 
in Jesus Christ, the new Adam. Humanity's second chance. The new Adam, a new way of relating to God by grace. And we hear this message that that Jesus, the Son of God, came to die for sinners like us in order to bring us back to God, in order to reconcile us back to God. That's what chapters 4 and 5 of Romans are all about. And then as we move into chapter 6 and into today, chapter 7, we see that, that not only are we rescued by grace, but that we actually need to live by grace. And so the first question is, okay, if I'm living by grace, then I can just live however I want, right? Because I'm going to be forgiven. I can just make mistakes left and right. I can do what I want, and then I can be forgiven. I can be forgiven. And chapter 6 is, is addressing that in, in a couple of different ways. And, and God basically says, you don't understand. You don't understand what grace is really all about and what it means to live by grace. It means that you died to sin. It means that you are no longer a slave to sin. And then in chapter 7, in these first six verses, he gives us a third image. And that is, you're no longer married to sin. You're no longer married to the law. So we have these images of death and slavery and marriage. Some people would argue those concepts are related, but I don't think they are. That what's related about them is, is how he's trying to communicate our relationship to the law, our relationship to sin. We're going to focus our attention on one verse this morning. It's uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 4. So pull that up on your phone or on your Bible, or you can look on the screen. Verse 4 says this, uh, chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, verse 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. In this verse, we have three new math concepts. Okay, go with me. We have three new math of the life under grace concepts. And the first concept is found right at the beginning where it says, you also died to the law. In order to understand how do we live under grace rather than under the old way of the law, the first thing we have to understand is that we have died to the law. Is died present tense, future tense, or past tense? It's past tense, right? It says you have died. That means it's done. It's, it's definitive. Something has already happened. You have died to the law. Now, what is the law? That's, that's the million-dollar question in this verse. What is the law? What's he talking about? Some people say he's talking about the law of Moses or the Ten Commandments. He's referring to the law itself. And he's saying you don't have to worry about the law anymore. You died to the law. Is that what he's saying? Well, he's going to answer that in verse 7. We'll talk about it next week. But just to let you know, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments or the law itself. What he's talking about is something much more insidious. You know, sometimes we talk about racism, right? Racism as, uh, as individual acts. 
right? That it's something that you do, it's something that you do, it's something that I can, uh, that I can choose to do or not to do. But, but as we study racism, as we read more about it, we learn that it's not just the individual acts, but it's what? It's more about the system of the society and of the, 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 the interaction of all of the different pieces working together to create a racist society. It's much bigger than just individual acts. And it's like that with the law, okay? It's not just the law, but it's the law as a system. It's the law as a system of gaining salvation. That's what he's talking about when he says you've died to the law. We need to understand that as saying not not to the laws, not to the laws which are good, but we die to the law as a system, okay, of gaining salvation. A system of gaining salvation. When we were on vacation, uh, my family... Laurie and I always try to set out new goals for the year, you know, uh, so it was the new year, so we were like, let's go, let's set out some goals. Well, one of the big goals that we had as a couple and as parents was to, was to talk about something that every child loves, and it's this, screen time, <laughs> okay? That as parents, we wanted to, because we've had some confusion in our household about what screen time is. You know, when do I get to be on my iPad? When do I get to be on the PlayStation? When do I get to do this? When do I get to, do, get to do that? And it seems like we're always bickering and fighting about it. And, and, and I blame myself for that because maybe we haven't been as clear about what our expectations are. Okay? And so Laurie and I said, we're going to sit down, we're going to talk about screen time. What is screen time? Well, we decided screen time is three different things. Okay? This is just, this is bonus material. Okay? The first thing is screen time is when we create something. So if you're, if you're on your computer and you're writing or you're on your iPad and you're making a movie, that we call that create time. Okay? The second time, Laurie, you're going to have to help me out. The second, the second kind of screen time is not create but it's communicate, right? Communicate. If you're on your device and you're communicating with your friends, you're communicating by uh, you know, instant messaging, or maybe you're on Discord, you're doing something like that, that's communication. The third type of screen time that we kind of came up with in our little family meeting, we call it consume. And that's when you're just, you're just kind of taking it in, you're being entertained, it's, you're consuming the media, okay? That's like video games, watching a movie, looking at YouTube, whatever, okay, that's consuming. So we decided that in our family, we're going to focus screen time on the consume time, because that's really the time we want to limit. You know, communication, creativity, we're not so worried about limiting that, but we want to limit the consumption time. So we decided in the Sibley household that from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the afternoon, that that's screen time, that that's consume time. And so the, the, the kids can do whatever they want, entertainment during that time, four to six. All right, homework's done. Now we're doing entertainment, screen time, consume time. Now, these are the rules in our household, all right? And I'm not saying that you should have these rules. These are just our rules, our family's rules. Now, what is that rule? What is that law? That law can sometimes function as a way of our children thinking that they can earn our favor, that they can earn our love. Because if I obey these rules, mom and dad will like me better. right? If I obey these rules, then maybe I can get something from mom and dad. You see, sometimes the law turns into something that's a tool for manipulation. 
Does that make sense? And, and, and what we, but that's not our intent, right, with giving them the rules. It's not so they can earn our love. Right? They have our love. They already have it. And, and so the law, in a similar way, the law is not, it's not about the law itself. The law is good. It's about the system of the law as a way to earn rewards from God, as a way to gain salvation. God says, the first thing you need to understand about living by grace is that you have died to the law in that sense. That it is no longer, <laughs> it is no longer a way for you to earn God's favor or his love. And it says very specifically here that we have died, how? Through the body of Christ. That we have died through the body of Christ. And, and so, brothers and sisters, as we put our faith in Jesus, when we put our trust in Him, we are united to Him. And, and, and if we look back in Romans uh, chapter 6, in the previous Romans chapter 6, oh, I don't think I have the... Is this... I thought I had it. It's okay. Let me read it for you. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into his death, we were buried with him, with Christ, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of of life. He says, Do you not know that all of us, all of us who have been baptized into the faith, all of us who have believed. Baptism here is talking about the, the reality of being united to Christ. Not just water baptism, but what it represents. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We were baptized into his death. And so what does that mean? It means that if you put your faith in Christ, that Jesus' death is your death. That when he died on the cross, you died with him. That through faith, you were with him on the cross. Isn't that incredible? That, that, that the punishment that God poured out onto Jesus was poured out onto you. By faith, it says you were baptized into Christ, into his death. And so this union that we have with Christ means that his death is our death and his life is our life. The, the scripture says that we have been liberated. That we have been freed that we have been freed from the system of the law. That we don't have to treat our Heavenly Father the way that some kids treat their parents. And that some parents want to be treated, frankly. That the law becomes a system of rewards and punishments. And, and God says, no, it's not about that. It's not about that. You have died to the law as a system. That's the first concept of the new math of living under grace. And the, the second concept of the new math of living under grace is this. It, it's, it's found back in verse 4. So let's go back to 7 verse 4. It says, My brothers and sisters, you have died to the law through the body of Christ that you may belong to another. And if you remember from the scripture reading, this is where that illustration of marriage comes in. You know, he says, hey, you're married to someone and you're bound by that law until what happens? Until they die, right? And then when they die, you're no longer under that law. And he's saying, you died, right? You've died to the law. And so now you are freed up to belong to another. 
that old abuser law that you were married to, God says, you're not married to him anymore, but you have been freed up now to not have to earn your way, to not have to, 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 to do certain things to, ple- to, to bring pleasure to your husband or to God. But God says you have been freed up to belong to another. You have a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And see, I love the image of marriage because marriage is such a comprehensive thing. You know, you don't just marry someone and then life goes on as usual, right? Marriage changes everything in your life. Why? Because you're committing yourself wholly, body, soul, to another human being. And when you do that, it involves everything. Your whole life is devoted to that other person, to their good, each for the other, each serving the other. And, 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 and it's designed by God to work like that, to bring harmony and peace and happiness and love. Everything changes. You can't just make a decision on your own anymore. But you have to bring in your spouse into that conversation. Marriage is a comprehensive thing. To live by grace is to understand that your relationship with God is a love relationship. It's like a marriage. It is comprehensive. It brings in every aspect of your life. There's no area of your life that you can say, well, I'm going to leave this out of my marriage with God. Uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to save some me time for me, right? <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be a recipe for a healthy marriage with another human being or with God. To say, God, this is my time over here. Thank you. I'll, I'll see you on the weekend. See, if we, if we understand the concept that, that we are given over to another, that we are, by grace, to belong to another, then it will change the way we view our relationship with, with our Creator. It will change the way that we interact with God. Think about it this way. Imagine a husband brings home a big, massive bouquet of flowers trims off the bottom, sticks them in a vase, puts it on the dining room table. His wife walks into the room and she sees these magnificent flowers and, man, she feels incredible, right? She feels uh, extremely appreciated. Wow, she says. She goes up to him and and she gives him a huge hug and she says, I just can't believe you brought me, just brightened my day. I really needed this today. I really needed this today. And he says... It was my duty. I just, I I needed to do it. Now what is that? That's crazy, right? But, But what's going on sometimes is that we bring our gifts to the Lord, right? We bring our obedience to the Lord because we think it's our duty. It's my duty to do X, Y, and Z. It's my duty to follow God's law. But the, but the reason that we need to understand that in under grace, it's not about duty, it's about delight. That what needs to change in our relationship with God is, is that as we understand living under grace, as we understand the new math of living under grace, that we don't want to just bring God our duty. But we want, our our hearts are changed to want to please Him. Why? Because He's our lover. 
He's our husband. He's our wife. That's the image that God paints for us here. It's a love relationship. And so we bring our best to God. We bring our obedience to God. Why? Because we love Him. Not because it's just our duty. And so we we should ask ourselves, what brings God pleasure? You know, a good husband is asking himself, what brings my wife pleasure? Not what brings me pleasure, but what brings my wife or what brings my husband pleasure? And so we should be asking the same question of God. What brings God pleasure? And and he tells us, doesn't he? Doesn't God tell us what brings him pleasure? He tells us in his word. Throughout his word, he tells us what brings him pleasure. Love, truth, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, service, self-sacrifice. These are the things that, by grace, we can devote ourselves to. Having died to the law as a system realizing that we may belong to God and relate to Him not as a a transactional relationship, but that we would relate to Him as as our lover. Intimate, intimate language. And then thirdly, we need to understand this third concept that that we may bear fruit for God. It's right there at the at the last part of verse four. It says, we might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. The old math, living under the law, taught us how we should bear fruit for ourselves. It's the way of the world. Look out for number one. That's the way the world works. That's the way the old math works. But Paul tells us, in in chapter 6, he tells us that the end of that road, the end of the old way, leads to what? We heard about it last week. It leads to death. That the end of that road leads to death. But I think a lot of times our enemy, our own sinful nature, the world around us, and even the the forces of evil in the heavenly realms, the devil and his minions, they they can deceive us into not believing that it actually leads to death. That when we bear fruit for ourselves, it actually leads to death. Because that's not the way it seems. It seems like when you're seeking your own good, that that's good. Right? I mean, think about just an illustration. This is an easy illustration. When we think about in our society how common it's become uh, uh, sex outside of the husband and wife relationship, the marriage. And we ask, and you, I, I hear this question, how can something that seems so good be wrong? How can something that, that appears to be so good be wrong. I mean, we have entire uh, TV shows devoted to the deception that this is good, right? And this is just one thing. But God tells us that if we live for our own pleasure, our own good, our own fruitfulness, 
then we will end up reaping death. That that's what ultimately comes from it. And so the, the thing that God wants to move us toward is not seeking fruitfulness for ourselves, but seeking fruitfulness for God. And, 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 and that what that does is it transforms everything that's good that's become an idol like sex or food or family or community or our ethnicity or our entertainment or our things. All of these good things can become, they can become avenues of death if they serve to bear fruit for ourselves. But God says, let them bear fruit for me. Let all of these good things, all of these good things bear fruit for me, God says, by His grace. Let's look at verse 5 and 6, chapter 7, 5 and 6. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. See? When we were living in our own sinful passions, it all bore fruit for death. And in verse 6, But now, listen to these good words, we are released from the law, the law as a system, right, for earning God's favor. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit. Not in the old way of the written code, not in the old way of that legalism, but in the new way of the Spirit, that by God's grace we are We are under a new math of life under grace. God wants us to bear fruit. To bear fruit of love and joy, of peace in a world of hostility, to show kindness. To be good, truly good in a world of evil. To be gentle in a world of destruction. To be a people who are faithful, bearing the fruit of faithfulness and of self-control. The law says, do this, do these good things, and you will live. But that's not what grace says. Grace says, you live. Now do this. We can't get it twisted. The law says, do this, do these good things, and you will live. That's the old way of the law. That's the old math. But the gospel says, the gospel of God's grace says, you live. In Christ, you live. So now, do this. Live this way. Nobody likes the new math. Nobody likes the new math, okay? And I'm not here today to sell you on the new math necessarily. (laughs) It's confusing. Sometimes it's counterintuitive, right? And, And when Common Core came out back in 2009, man, there was a lot of controversy, right? I mean, nobody liked it. Conservatives didn't like it because it was imposing the federal government on local and state governments. They didn't like it. Progressives didn't like it because these new standards were being used to uh, evaluate teachers in the classroom through testing, right? Nobody liked it. Parents didn't like it because they didn't know how to to help their kids with homework anymore. The same is true for this new math under grace. The same is true 
with this new math of life under grace. We don't like it because it doesn't fit with the world around us. Because the world doesn't work by grace. The world works by law. The world works by a system of law. And so many of our relationships don't work by grace. They work by law. They work by if you do this, then this will or may happen to you. Right? I will give you this if you give me that. That's the way the world works. But God invites us into a new freedom. A new freedom, a new way of living life that is not transactional, but, it, but that is full of love and of God's mercy and His grace lived out. And that's what the Apostle Paul is moving us into a deeper understanding of. And over the, the next Uh, the end of chapter 7 and into chapter 8, we're going to see an unfolding of what it looks like to live under grace. To actually live under grace. Not to continue in sin, because that's the old math. But the new way, the new way is a way that the world will truly be transformed. It will truly be transformed by grace. Brothers and sisters, we, we need This world needs you, God's people. This world needs you to be a bearer of God's grace. Because if you look around, even right here in Orangeburg, if you look around on the the media and you look around on the things that are happening, there's no grace out there for anybody. There is no grace out there for anybody. And so believers... True believers right here in God's church. We have an opportunity this year, (laughs) today. We have an opportunity to bring some new understanding. To bring some new math. To bring some new fruitfulness. That's not about our own prosperity. But that points and moves people to see the fruitfulness that can come from God. That can come through His grace. And so I invite you to to engage with the Lord. Engage with Him in His call to live under grace. Not under law, but under grace. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you've died to the law. It no longer has mastery over you. It's no longer do this and live. Now it's just live because Christ has been sufficient. God has set you free so that you can belong to another, that you can have a love relationship with God. That it is not about duty, but it's about delight. Delighting in Him. And then lastly, God has set us free that we might bear fruit for Him, our Maker, our Creator getting back to that original created intent that we would be fruitful and multiply and that we would bring the light of his truth and his love to every corner of this creation every corner of this community every corner of your work and your school and your family and your neighborhood that God wants to bring his fruitfulness through you so Lord help us help us to live under grace Let's pray together. God, you know how hard it is. You know how hard it is for us to 
to get out of that old mindset, to get out of that old way of doing the problem and of thinking of it in a certain way. Lord, forgive us for continually going back to our own efforts and relying on our own uh, talents and abilities and goodness rather than relying on you. Lord, we want to live under grace, not under law anymore. Lord, because we know that's all we have. We know that all we have is Christ. We just sung about it earlier in Christ alone. And yet we live like we've got some other helpers and we've got some other uh, saviors out there. Ourselves, first of all. Lord, forgive us. And Lord, move us into a new life of grace. Help us to understand how it works, how it operates as we continue to read this letter to the Roman church. Lord, help us to, to understand to desire and be transformed, to live under grace. In Christ's name we pray and we ask, amen.